Amen, amen. Have a seat. And good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Family Worship Sunday. And your kids should have a a pack of entertainment. Uh, They should have um, all the coloring items and a glow stick in there. Um, Our kids team is amazing. Let's give our kids a hand. Thanks so much for putting this stuff together. Family Sunday, absolutely amazing. And we are entering an Advent season, and so we're taking a little bit of a break from our series in the book of Acts. And, uh, and you should have gotten a couple things as you walked in. One of the items is this, and it's an invitation card, um, both for you, but not just for you, for people, your friends, families, and neighbors that may be looking for a church this season, a place to find the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so what we wanted to do is just give you guys a resource that you could use um, for this purpose, to invite a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker to say, hey, um, I go to an amazing church, amen? And I would love for you to come join it. It'd be more amazing with you. So there's that resource. Um, Second one is this. Uh, We have an Advent devotional guide that um, our team put together and has been um, working on for for some time. And and, uh, just a way to both have a devotion, also do some discussion with your family. Um, Our team did an amazing job putting that together. So it's a resource for you. And it also is kind of the outline of the series that we'll be doing up and through up through Advent and up through Christmas Eve. So you should have those resources. If you didn't get one, they'll be available for you on your way out. Now saying that, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. I'm gonna read a little bit for us and then we will uh, have some engagement moments with the kids. Are y'all ready for that? Kids, you ready? Help your parents find the passage in the Bible. If you're in front of them. Um, And then we will jump in. Luke Chapter one, starting in verse five, says this. Now in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was, um, was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this amazing season of Advent, a a preparation for the coming of the King that we need. Thank you for um, this season of Thanksgiving And Lord, I really pray that that season of thanksgiving will continue as we reflect on um, the coming 
of the greatest gift the world could ever receive, your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I lift up this morning to you, I lift up your word that you would guide it, protect it, and Lord, that we would be a hope-filled people because we know our hope is in you, Jesus Christ. We ask um, that you guide our time in your name we pray, amen. Well, I wanna talk to you this morning about hope, hope. That is the reason for this season. It is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is what we're focused on. And I wanna give you a definition of hope. Hope is this, is to want something to happen to be true or to think it could happen or to be true or to cherish a desire with anticipation or this one, I really love this one, to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment, to expect with confidence. That is hope. And this season is a season of hope. And if you don't believe me, just look at the kids beside you because they are hope-filled this season. So kids, this is your chance to participate. I know you're ready for this. Um, This season, what is coming in a few weeks? Kids, anyone? Christmas, that's absolutely right. Christmas is coming in a few weeks. Now, um, I made the mistake years ago uh, by asking this question on Christmas Eve. So I'm gonna ask it today. Uh, what do you hope to get this Christmas? And you have to answer this if you are under the age of 20. You're sorry, this is only for the people under the age of 20. What do you hope to get this Christmas? When I asked that on Christmas Eve, it made a lot of families squirm. Um, so what do you hope? I'm gonna give it to you. What do you hope to get this Christmas? Nike Air Jordan 1 Pollens. There you go. You're welcome, parents. You're welcome. What do you hope to get this Christmas? Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels, that's a classic. Very good, very good. Okay, we need to hear from a girl. Uh, would you mind sharing? What, no, okay. Oh, I need, I need, I need a girl with uh, some hopes this year. We got, oh, you wanna go, okay. What do you hope to get this Christmas? Hey, think big, because your parents are right here and they're telling everyone right now. A baby doll? (gasps) She'd like a baby doll this Christmas. Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. We all have hopes this season. Hopes for a gift, hopes for uh, maybe a family member to come visit, hopes for something. And the funny thing about hopes is that oftentimes uh, when, when they come to fruition, we're just waiting with expectancy. When will my hope be realized? But the, the challenge is this, uh, do we, is our hope actually going to happen? I mean, is hope a blind leap? Can I actually trust my parents to get me these Jordans? I mean, can I actually trust the people in my life to fulfill this? Well, hope, scripturally, isn't just a blind lob into the air. Hope is this. It's confident expectation. It's confident expectation in God. And the story of Jesus coming into the earth is a restoration of hope. It's hopes where our hope should be, and it's a promise of the restoring of everything into a way that it could and should be under God. It's a restoration of hope. And as we launch into this Advent season, we're going to look at the story of Jesus Christ coming into the world, the restoration of hope. And every story has a setting. It has a context where the events take place. 
Star Wars took place in a galaxy far, far away. Lord of the Rings took place in Middle Earth. Raya and the Last Dragon took place in the world of Kamandra. Okay, just trying to get everyone involved in this. And the setting of the stage shapes what will happen in the story. And so what we have here in this section is the setting of the story of when Jesus came to earth. What what was the world like when Jesus came to earth? Well, it says this in Luke 1 verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And that word, that phrase may not mean much to you. It's the days of Herod, king of Judea. You might as well be saying in a galaxy far, far away. Like, I don't know that world. What is happening in that moment? And here's what's fascinating. What Luke opens up with in these simple verses, these first really three verses, five, six, and seven, is he shows good reasons to lose hope. He gives them the the setting of the story, and the setting is not a happy moment, it's actually a dark moment. The setting is is a setting of of tragedy, and actually even begins before these statements. Because if you look at your Bible, what's fascinating, and you may not realize this, and kids, this is your chance to poke your dad, poke your mom, and say, please open your Bible, and we're in the Gospel of Luke, and there's, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you're to flip back just a, a couple pages, you get to the book of, of Malachi. It's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And there's a page, my Bible has a page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's just one page. And in that one simple page, what only takes just a, a thin piece of paper, actually represents 400 years of history. What's only one page is actually 400 years. And the last words of the Old Testament say this. Chapter four, verse five, it says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree and of utter destruction. And after that statement, he says, I'm gonna send you someone in the spirit and power of Elijah. We have a page. And that page is 400 years of what New Testament scholars call silence. It's when God stopped speaking through the prophets for 400 years. Just to give you some context on that, um, the United States is not 400 years old. So over this period of time, God has stopped speaking. But history, history has not stopped moving. In fact, I'm gonna give you some some historical dates. Uh, People are asking me right now, okay, when do these events take place? What's going on in the world? Well, let me flash forward a little bit. Um, Malachi um, was a prophet around 440 um, CE or BCE. And then we have this next period called the intertestamental period. Um, Alexander the Great rose to power in Greece around 336 to 323 BCE. And over that time, uh, Greece moved in and started ruling this region of land of Judea. And then the Judea kind of changed hands over this period of time. It was ruled by the Greek Empire, and then by Egypt, and then by Syria, and then there was a uh, the Maccabean Revolt. If you um, some some Bibles have this intertestamental period of First and Second Maccabees, it records it in that in that little section. But uh, most New Testament scholars don't believe that's authoritative scripture. Just recounting some history. Then you have Judea ruled by the Roman Empire, around 65 BC. Julius Caesar rises to power. 
And then our story moves into this moment when Herod the Great reigns as the king of the Jews. 400 years of wars going on and and where God is saying nothing to his people. And silence, silence in the midst of war and chaos can be deafening. I mean, when you want an answer, when you want someone to speak, if you, have, if you hear nothing, it can be extremely difficult to engage or extremely difficult to have hope. Think about it when you apply to college. Students, you send off those applications to all of those schools praying that you can get into the college of your dreams. You are hoping for an answer and you go month after month after month and hear nothing. You ever apply for a job? You apply for that job, you're hoping to have some sort of income and get week after week of nothing, nothing, nothing. My wife and I moved to South Florida um, while she did, was uh, pursuing her veterinary residency. And I was applying a job for anywhere. I was about 20, uh, 28 years old. I had a, some work experience. I'm applying to Starbucks and Barnes and Nobles and I am not getting a call back. As a man with a college degree, when I can't get a job at Starbucks, and the silence, the silence can be deafening. And silence makes, brings you into these questions. Is God listening? Does he hear? Or does God even care? And it causes you to wonder in your mind, God, are you even there? Do you even care? The second challenge that he faces is this. Not only silence, the second problem is disillusionment. Because in this moment, we have many leaders changing hands over this region. But you also have this in particular leader that they are pointing to. And it's um, Herod. And they title him Herod the Great, King of the Jews. And actually, he wasn't even Jewish. He may have been half Jewish at best. It was a title given to Herod by, by Roman authorities because he was a good politician. He kind of worked his way in with the Roman authorities, with the people of power, and they had given him this title, King of the Jews, and able to rule over this region. And the reason I said it's disillusionment is because of this definition of disillusionment. It's, it's the condition of being disenchanted or dissatisfied or defeated in expectation of hope. Herod wasn't ruling as a hope-filled king, although he was a powerful leader in many ways. He actually built uh, the Jewish temple, rebuilt it in a beautiful way. And the Herod's temple was, was one of the, the amazing construction projects of that region. He also rebuilt an area called Caesarea Maritima. Um, and it was a, brought a amazing wealth and prosperity to that particular region. But he was also a man that was incredibly vengeful and bloodthirsty. He was not a good king, not a good ruler of this region. He had many wives it says this, many, um, he had a large number of the people um, executed or assassinated, including members of his own family. Um, his wife, uh, he believed that she was poisoning him or going to try to poison him, and so he had her killed. And then he had her two sons killed as well. And then several other sons near his death, he had them killed as well. It caused um, uh, the emperor um, Augustus to remark this, Augustus reportedly said it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. The reason being is because he had kind of adopted Jewish tradition and he didn't eat pork. And so he knew that he wasn't going to kill a pig, but he was going to kill his own family members. 
And so this is the king over this region, a bloodthirsty, dark king. And the third issue that you see rise up is this, our disappointments. We read in this story that there's a man and a woman, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are barren. They were childless and they were advanced in age. Um, they, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. That phrase advanced in years likely means they're, they're somewhere over the age of 60. They're, they're an older couple. And they had wanted a baby their whole life and they had not been able to have a child. And that was a problem in their culture for multiple reasons. So one was economically, your children uh, supported you in your old age. They didn't have social security or any of those safety nets. And so it was your family that was going to provide for you later on in life. And they're wanting, they're hoping to have this kid and it's not happening year after year, disappointment after disappointment. Have you ever wanted something so bad? And it's a good thing. It's not an evil thing. It's a good thing. But it just seems like it's never coming your way. That's where they are. My kids experience this all the time when we go to HEB. We go through the checkout line and they ask for something simple from HEB. They ask the cashier for buddy bucks. Parents, you know, familiar with buddy bucks? Your children, okay. Blank, like a, a buddy buck, yeah, yeah. And you go over to this wheel of destiny. <laughs> and you feed in the dollar and you press the button and it starts spinning, 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 spinning. Uh, all your hopes spinning before you. And there's different points that you can get. There's one point, there's five points, there's 20 points. Um, uh, sorry to tell you, the points are worth nothing. Like they're of no value. But every now and then you can land on that winning square and, and then get something. But most of the time you hit the button and it spins and then it says, congratulations, you get one point. And so all you're left with is a piece of paper and dashed hopes, right? Like that, thank you H-E-B for this in my life. That's what it is. And so have you been in a place where you've been like, man, I feel like God's silent I'm disillusioned with the leaders that are in place. And oh my gosh, I'm facing disappointment after disappointment. That is the setting of the gospel of Luke as it opens up. It's silence, disillusionment, disappointment. And in this moment, these people are saying, I don't know if I can have hope anymore. But here's what we don't see in those moments where God is silent when we're upset at our circumstances or we're disappointed with life, here's what we don't see. We don't see what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't see that there may be purpose in the circumstances that we're walking in. We don't see that we should actually trust the character of God, not the circumstances of our life. And so what we don't see, first of all, is this, that the silence that God may be putting there is actually purposeful. See, God is restoring hope in this section. The first way that he shows us is this, that the silence is actually purposeful. He's gonna point back 400 years to the Old Testament to, to show him that, hey, what I'm doing behind history is I'm moving all of history towards my great purpose. And my silence, God says, isn't his absence it's that he is moving all of history towards his great ends. And silence, his silence is actually purposeful. 
And in our world, we, we very rarely have moments of silence. You had all of your kids home for the past week. I promise you this, there was no such thing as silence in your home. I, I was read an article about uh, a man named Gordon Hempton, and he is a, uh, his, his title is hilarious to me. He is a, um, an auditory ecologist, meaning he tries to preserve silence in the world, which I thought was hilarious. And so there's an article about him, and he goes to all these different places to try to find silence, and he discovered it. The, the, the quietest place on earth, that in his mind, um, is somewhere up in the northeast in, in the mountains uh, or in, in, in some wooded areas up in the forest of Washington. And he looked all over the place to find this place, and he found there is one square inch in a tree surrounded by moss in the middle of the wilderness that is the quietest place on earth. And he goes there and sits there, puts a microphone there and records nothing. <laughs> and as I thought about that, I'm like, what a waste of time. But then I thought about the power of silence. You see, God's silence doesn't mean his absence. It just might mean He's waiting for us to look at him. Because we get so busy with the things of life, we miss the simplicity of listening to God. I had teachers when I was in uh, high school, and uh, my high school classes were a wreck. I was not in all AP classes, so uh, my, my classes were the other kids, and so we were noisy at times. And I remember one teacher in particular, and actually this was in junior high, um, when the kids started going crazy, this substitute teacher knew the power of silence. He just stood at the front of the classroom. And we're talking, we're all doing our thing, and all of a sudden we, we look at him and he's just standing there in complete silence. And we look over him and we're like, what's the matter? He's like, I'm waiting. For what? I'm waiting. And through the power of his silence, every one of the students started slowly turning and looking to him. And he had us. Smart teacher. See, there's power in silence. And so oftentimes we punctuate our words with silence. But God punctuates his silence with words. See, all of us most of the time are talking too much and we punctuate. To make a point, we're quiet. But God's the opposite. He is quiet most of the time and in order to punctuate what he's saying, when we've looked properly, he says, now I'm going to speak. Now I'm going to break the silence. And it says this in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. See, God isn't waiting passively. He's waiting purposefully and he's moving in the silence. He's moving the scenes into the right place at the right time so that he can speak. And at this moment, it was the fullness of time. All of these empires had risen and fallen and at the right moment under the Roman empire, he is going to prepare Prepare the way for his son and he's going to speak. And so he breaks the silence by replacing their disillusions, their illusions with fulfilled promises. What's fascinating about each one of these names of people 
is that in the names, you get the fulfillment of his promises. The name Zechariah means, means this, Yahweh remembers. The name Elizabeth means something along the lines of God's covenant. And you put their names together. Zechariah and Elizabeth mean God remembers his covenant. See, God in his silence hasn't forgot what he's promised. And he's moving all things in history for his great ends. And he's put this in the names to say, look, look, I haven't forgotten you. I remember and I'm going to bring my covenant promise. And then not only that, he replaces their disappointments with life. It says in verse eight, now while Zacharias was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. It's interesting, Zechariah is a priest and there was, there was literally thousands of priests and he was chosen by lot. This is probably the only time is in his life that he is going to walk into the temple. This is his one moment to offer incense. There was thousands of priests. They chose it by lots. It happened to fall on him and he walks his way into the room, verse 10, and a whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. That's common. When an angel appears, it terrifies people. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness and rejoice at his birth. He says, I have heard your prayer, Zechariah. See, God hears your prayers. There's no moment when you're talking to God when he is disinterested or not concerned. He hears, he hears, he listens. He tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and you're going, I'm going to fulfill it. And you'll have great joy and gladness, verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink for he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before, before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to, and to disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He says, I'm going to give you a son and not just any son. He's gonna be great before God. And he's gonna prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Zechariah, your prayer has been answered and it's been answered better than you can imagine. You get to be part of bringing in and ushering in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah that you hoped for. I mean, can you imagine Zechariah's response? I mean, I mean, clearly this is the most exciting moment of his life. Not only can you have a baby mama, he is going to usher in the president of the United States. You'd be like, okay, that's a pretty good son. Like he'll be like in his cabinet. It's gonna be awesome. Well, that's gonna be pretty sweet. You know, mama, you're gonna have a son and he's gonna be right there at the top of the top. He's gonna be great before the Lord. And can you imagine Zechariah's response? Man, all of my hopes are realized in this moment. But what does Zechariah say? What's Zechariah's response? Verse 18, he said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. What is his response to hope? And I'll tell you what, it's often your response to hope. It's doubt. I don't know. I don't know, God. 
how can you prove it to me? How can you prove that you're actually going to do what I want you to do? How can you prove it to me? That's what he basically saying. Hey, how shall I know? What are you gonna do, angel, to prove it to me? And, and at one level, you're gonna be like, okay, God just sent an angel into your midst. Like you're never gonna be in this temple moment again. And an angel is standing in front of you. Like that is a miracle enough. But if you were to ask God for a miracle to prove himself to you, what would you ask for? Kids, it's another time for you to participate. What, if you wanted God to prove himself to you, what would you ask for? Just shout it out. Peace. Peace. Oh, that would be amazing. Yes. I would ask to fly. <laughs> God, if you're real, I just want to fly for a moment. Like, I love Peter Pan as a kid. Like, hey, just, you know, like one little swoop, and then I'm like, okay, I believe you. Peace is a better answer. What else would you ask for? Skywrite, like write my name in the clouds. Be like, it's coming, Kevin, right? Like just, just something to like show the promise. Like I'm actually going to do it. And what would you ask God to do to prove it? And what's so funny is that he's like, hey, what are you gonna do, Gabriel? And Gabriel does not bite. He does not play that game. And listen, God doesn't play our games either. He says this, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. The name Gabriel means valiant one of God, hero of God. You know how he was answering Zechariah? He was sending him a hero. Not the big hero hero, but a small H hero. A valiant one to point him that God is in control. He says, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this thing takes place. That's your miracle, Zechariah. That's your miracle. You will not be able to speak. You're gonna learn the gift of silence. Isn't that interesting? God could answer him in any way that he imagined. He says, you know what? I'm gonna teach you a lesson, Zechariah. You will be quiet. He says he went from that moment and he had to make signs and he did not speak again until Elizabeth gave birth. And the first words out of his mouth are gonna be the name John, his son. See, God gave him a miracle, the miracle of muteness, to prove that he is in control and he is moving all things together towards his great end. What are you hoping in this year? Where are you looking to find hope? For some of us, it's in what we can produce. It's in our job, it's in our economy, it's what we can contribute to the world. Our hope is ultimately in, in, in us. For some of you, it's in a family member. It's, it's, it's your son or your daughter. Like They are gonna be the fulfillment of all of your hopes and dreams and you have put the weight of your hope on their shoulders to carry. For some of you, it's your hope of in your spouse or maybe one day getting married. See, and what we don't really realize is that all of those hopes that are made by man can't hold the freight of your heart. Jesus alone is the hope of the world. And the best, greatest place you can place your hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and 
asking the question, God, how can I jump in to your mission? How can I be a part of your story? How can I be used to spread hope to the world and be a part of the mission that you are moving in the world because everything else will vanish away. But God's promises, God's commitment, God's character are sure. So I give you three implications as we close. The first implication is this. Hope is found in the character of God, not in the uncertainty of life circumstances. First implication of this passage is this, is that hope is found in the character of God, not in the uncertainty of life circumstances. Second implication, that God fulfills his promises in his perfect time, not yours. Number three, our doubts don't stop God's work, but it does shape how we can participate. Our doubts do not stop what God can do, but it does shape how we can participate. So where are your hopes? I'm gonna pray for us. I want to give you, give you a moment to prepare your heart as we're going to take communion today. I just want you to take a moment right now and just ask the Lord, where are my true hopes this season? Is it in a present under a tree? Is it a career move? Or is it only and solely in you? I'm gonna pray to close and why don't you prepare your hearts and then we'll have communion here in a moment. Lord, I lift up each person here this morning to you. That you would be working in their hearts. And Lord, there's so many things that... Um, that are pulling our hopes away from you into something else. And I get it, I understand it, because there's, there's something intoxicating about the visual, the new item, the thing that we can see. But Lord, I pray that you'd be moving in our hearts. You would show us that our true hope can only be found in you, Jesus. And Lord, I know that many of us uh, today are like Zechariah, that we, we don't really hope in you. And God, when you say, hey, this is what I will do in your life if you come to me, we ask God, prove it. But Lord, I hope you would make our hearts soft so that we might know you and respond in the way that you call us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, communion is the great remembrance of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. On the last day, night of Jesus' life, he was with his disciples and um, he was in the upper room and they were sharing a meal together, a Passover meal. And he took that moment to reframe the Passover meal to not merely be the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world in a sacrifice that's offered in the temple, but he, he personalizes it. He 
takes the bread, he takes the cup, and he doesn't apply it to the temple, but he applies it to himself. So would you prepare your heart by um, opening the elements? And when you're ready, I'm gonna lead us through this. On the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he broke it during the meal and he handed it to each one of his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread together? he took the cup he said this is my blood which has been shed for you do this in remembrance of me would you take the cup together We have an opportunity here at the end of the service um, to respond in prayer. Our prayer team is going to come here. And I'm not sure what you're putting your hope in this year. But my challenge to you is to do a real personal inventory. Is it something other than Jesus Christ? And maybe in this moment, a response of a song is to confess Jesus, I'm sorry that I've been running after every other thing in life, putting my hope in those things and not in you, and doubting that you can even provide what you say you can, life and peace and hope. So if that's you, maybe come forward and, and, and receive prayer. We want to pray alongside you. For others of you, you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You've, you've put your faith in the 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 church attendance or the circumstances of life or maybe you're sitting there with your parents and you're really not sure what this is about you've never actually put your faith in Jesus you've just done the church thing and let me say hey God's looking into your heart and he wants a relationship with you so maybe today is the first time you come forward and say I believe Jesus you died in my place for my sins I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world now that's you come forward pray want to solidify this moment alongside you. For others of you, maybe there's a a physical ailment or healing that you need. Uh, We want to pray for you. We do believe in a God of miracles. He can do more than make us mute. He can heal our bodies. So if there's a um, a sickness or a, a healing that you need, come forward. We want to pray for you this morning. We pray in closing. Lord, thank you. Thank you for every one of our families. Thank you for this amazing season in which you um, remind us that you left heaven and glory and honor and came to earth. Thank you that you work in people's lives, not perfect people, 
people that doubt you, people that don't believe you, people like me, people like Zechariah. And Lord, thank you that our doubts don't stop your greater work. I lift up each person here that we would draw near to you, you would draw near to us, that our hope would be in you.